So what do you think of One Love? That Bob Marley classic there. One Love. Lee was moving with it. (laughs) He's getting into the lyrics with that, that holy Armageddon. (laughs) You'll be pleased that I'm not speaking on holy Armageddon uh, today, but but Dangerous Love, that's what we're going to go into. And uh, I am, I am easily distracted. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm easily distracted. I'm there driving a car, concentrating on the road. It's, oh, look at that over there. Oh, look at that in front. I'm easily distracted. And the other night, uh, tell this story, it just gets it out of there. That's what you do uh, when you're telling stories in front of so many people. I was distracted. I was distracted the other night. It was like this. I was, I was talking to Rach. She may not remember. She may not even know that I was distracted. I may have done that distraction so well. I was having this conversation. What was probably an important conversation, but I don't remember what that was now. But the TV was on. The TV was on. It was only on quietly. I hadn't noticed it only on the screen there was this range of mountains and I'm, I'm really into mountains. I saw this range of mountains and I was, I was looking at it and then I was looking at Rach and the back of the mountains, Rach, and, and the conversation was going on and then there was this skier, this skier and I was looking at the skier, I was looking at Rach, the mountains, so on and the sound was down, the sound was down but I could just about hear it. You know when it's, it's there, you can just about hear it. And if you concentrate on that sound, you don't hear that sound so much. And you try and do both at the same time and, and you do it badly. I was distracted. And as it went on, I could just about work out what was going on on the screen. It was one of those extreme sports programs. Anyone into extreme sports programs there? When they're on, they're difficult not to watch, if you know what I mean. But maybe you wouldn't think, I'm going to watch that extreme sports program today. Don't do that. But when they're on, you're like, you get into it, don't you? And what was being set up was for this skier, this skier to be dropped from a helicopter. So you've got this skier in the helicopter, thousands of feet up and going to be dropped. And he was going to land on the peak of the Matterhorn Mountain, massive mountain, Uh, He's going to drop from the helicopter, land on the top of the Matterhorn Mountain. And then he was going to ski down the first part of that severe slope. Not really skiing, more falling with a certain amount of control. And he was going to look for this break in the rock where he was going to launch out. He was going to pull on his ripcord, his parachute would come out, and then he'd descend down to earth. That was what was being set up. Amazing. And I was distracted. I had to watch what was going on. And I, I can't fully explain why that is. Was it about the danger that there was the possibility that he, this skier, could die here and I'd get to watch that? I really hope it wasn't about that. But it was there. He was facing something life-threatening. Was it about seeing him succeed in this, of, of doing something that had never been done before? Was it about getting close to him? Because they always do this where they tell their story and you hear their passion for it and you feel like you're getting to know them just before they launch themselves off in this feat where they're risking their life. I'm not sure what it was, but there is something about danger, something about danger that, that sets our pulse racing and, we're, and, and that gets our attention. And with Dangerous Love, this, this series that we're in, We're putting together two words, two words, dangerous and love, so that we get a reaction, so that we we get people's attention with it. And in preparing this sermon, I've got to be honest here, I wasn't feeling very dangerous. 
I wasn't really doing dangerous. And I looked at my faith and, and, and dangerous, it wasn't a word that I would, have, I would have used to describe myself and my faith. But I do know, and I, I pulled back to this place, I do know that I, I love God and I'm, I'm passionate about following Jesus. Most of us here could say that. And often I think we, we do get confused. We get confused about what is safe and, and what is dangerous. And also, and, and again, let's be honest here. I want to give my life, and I, I'm sure that you want to give your lives. You want to you be dangerous and, and give yourself to, to causes that matter. And skiing off the, the Matterhorn may be, may be a, a, an instant high, but, but what else? What else really? My love and, and, and passion for Jesus isn't about getting high. It's about, it's about the hope of the world. It's about people hearing the good news about Jesus Christ and having that, that life-changing encounter with him. And I think, I think we may be more dangerous than we know. To set this up, there are two places that are, I want us to go with this, to start off with. The first scene that, that comes is in the New Testament. And this is the, the start of, of all that's going to follow here. It comes in Luke chapter 10. So that's Luke chapter 10. And in this scene, Jesus, Jesus is confronted by a, an expert in the law, someone who would claim to know everything about God. And it it was a test. The question that was asked was, was a test for Jesus. And he was, he's used to that. It happens often that uh, someone comes at him with something that he's not meant to be able to answer. And, and, and teacher, this expert said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, in, in, in answering the expert, he, he was clever in that he, he got the expert himself to, to answer his own question, to, to, to make it more of a, an impact for him. And this expert said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He knew, he knew the Old Testament. He was quoting from the Old Testament and he said that. And the words there, the words there are where we're going to start off and, 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 and we're going to move with it as, as we look at different, different aspects of it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And there is something very definite in those words, those four words. Our heart, where we, where we feel our emotions. Our soul, the, the non-physical part of us that, that gives us our being. Then there is our, our strength, our, our physical presence here on earth and our mind that processes what we, what we see and, and what we experience. And as definite as those, as those four words are, heart, soul, strength and mind, as definite as those are, don't worry too much about the individual meaning. For me in, in this life, as we, as we live this life, they can't be separated. And what Jesus is, is saying is that this is about all of you, all of you. Not just our heads and, and our knowledge, but our hearts and being emotionally involved with this. Not just our souls and, and what is eternal, but our strength and being active here and now. It is fully engaging with, with a God who is fully engaged with us. It is one love for the, for the one who loves us. And it is these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
soul, strength and mind, which are the start of this. And the question, the question that we're going to keep asking as we, as we, as we move this is, is what makes this love for God dangerous? What makes it dangerous? The second place that we're going to go is in the Old Testament. And we're going to go there with, with Moses. Moses, that incredible uh, character that, that comes through the, the Old Testament. And, and don't worry too much if you don't know the story of, of what leads up to, to this scene. I just want us to experience something here, to experience something. In Exodus chapter 33, so that's chapter 33, Moses was, was meeting with God. And how he did this was to, to take a, a tent and to, to take it outside of the camp where all the people were. Take it some distance away from the camp. And then, and then he'd pitch this tent. And then Moses, uh, at certain points, he would, he would go out to this tent. And all the people would rise. They'd be out of the front of their tents. And they'd, they'd stand and they'd watch as, as Moses went in. And then this pillar of cloud... This pillar of cloud came down and it stayed at the entrance of, of Moses' tent all the time that he was meeting with God in that tent. Now, I'm into camping. I have a, a tent of my own. In fact, this is camping weather, isn't it? This is where you, you really feel like you're hardcore when you're out there in your tent. And, and thinking about that scene there with, with Moses certainly adds a new dimension to, to my camping experience. <laughs> I haven't seen a cloud of that nature coming down, a pillar. I've seen lots of these and lots of rain, but not a pillar of cloud. Later on in the chapter, Moses was praying. And starting in verse 18, Moses said to God, and this is a dangerous prayer to pray. If you're looking for one to, to start off with, well... This could be serious. Moses says, now show me your glory. God, now show me your glory. And God being God, he set this up for Moses. Remarkably, he set it up. But it needed to be done right. Because Moses' life was in danger. And the Lord said this. He said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. God got Moses to stand on a, on a nearby rock and then when the Lord passed by, he pushed Moses, pushed Moses into this gap and covered him with his hand. Having passed by, the, the Lord removed his hand and, and Moses then was able to see God's back, but he couldn't, he wasn't able. It wouldn't be safe for him to see God's face. And even now as I'm, I'm preaching this through, I'm, I'm thinking that is incredible. What happened there? The language used to, to describe God, how visible and, and present he was to Moses. And then the danger, the danger that was evoked by, by God's presence. You cannot see the Lord's face and live. And that is what I want us to experience here. God's presence is dangerous. Moses was both in it and he was protected from it. 
And I don't fully understand that, but I do know. I do know that when I'm right with God and, and, and when I'm believing and, I, and I'm, I'm knowing and I'm asking for his presence with me, then I sense him. I sense him in me. I sense him around me. And it is his presence that makes loving God with all our heart, soul, strength and mind dangerous. It is God's presence that makes it dangerous. Brother Lawrence, Brother Lawrence, who was a 17th century monk, and I think it adds something to any sermon when you can quote an old monk every so often. Brother Lawrence, uh, he wrote uh, Practicing the Presence of God, and in in that he said this, I'll read it through. He said, I drove away from my mind everything capable of spoiling the sense of the presence of God. I just make it my business to persevere in his holy presence. My soul has had an habitual, silent, secret conversation with God. An habitual, silent, secret conversation with God. Now that isn't me. I'm, I'm far from being there yet. But the desire, the desire to live in God's presence as a, as a constant, that is there. That is there. And as we follow Jesus, this comes through in our, in our lives and it is his presence. It is God's presence that moves us from what is safe to what is dangerous. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe, if you've ever read any of those, has a scene where the children are in the the beaver's den. You may know it. You may have pictured it already. And Lucy asked the question about Aslan, the lion, who is the the Christ-like figure in the story. She asks this question. She asks if Aslan is safe. And Mr. Beaver, he he responds with a, a wild look on his face, and he says, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. In Psalm 84, verse 10, it says, Yes, better, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God isn't safe. God's presence isn't safe. He is merciful. He is compassionate. He is holy. He is good. He is the king. One day in his court, in his presence, is better than a thousand elsewhere, but safe. If we're thinking that, we need to be careful. That we haven't misunderstood and, and somehow tried to tame our God and, and tried to cutify our saviour. God's presence is what makes our love for him dangerous. And where we go next and and through to the finish of this, he's thinking about how that relates to to our lives here and now. And there is any number of aspects to this. But as I was preparing this, there were three. Three that seemed important to me. And I want to start with commitment. Commitment, personal commitment. We're not born a Christian. We're not Christians because... Our parents are. We're not Christians because we live in a so-called Christian country. We're not Christians because we go to church. We're not Christians because we, we do good things. We're not Christians because we've been christened. We're not Christians because we believe in God. We're Christians. 
when we've made a personal commitment, when we've realized our need for God's grace and, and forgiveness, and we've accepted that Jesus is the Son of God, that he, he gave his life for us, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We're Christians when we've responded to this and made a personal commitment. And it will affect our heart. And it will affect our soul. And it will affect our strength. And it will affect our mind. We may sense, we may sense our hearts growing. We may get upset at something that never seemed to matter before. Like we're watching the news and there's there's a story on there and there's hurt and there's suffering and and there's poverty that that moves us and we want to do something about it. There may be. A new assurance in our souls where the the fear of death that that once was there is no longer there. It's been removed from us because we're now secure in Jesus. And there is a a sense of heaven, a sense of, of what is beyond and that this life that we're living now isn't all there is. Our strength even, our strength may increase. Not that we've joined a gym and started working out, but there is a, a new passion inside of us. A new resilience that is growing that we didn't realize was there. And we want to use it for God. We may not know how, but we just know that there's something inside of us, the spirit rising inside of us. And we want to do something with it. And our minds, our minds, whatever our minds were filled with before, that will start to change. Suddenly we're thinking on God. We're having God thoughts. We're we're listening out for him. And Jesus' words and his teaching, which may have sounded so dull and irrelevant up to that point of making that personal commitment, takes on new meaning. It starts to come alive in us. We want to live it out. We've got a desire to follow him word for word. And our lives and our attitudes and our motives change. This is God's presence, his dangerous presence in us. And if you are new to this, if you have only just made that personal commitment, then I want to encourage you. Be open. Be open to what God is doing in you. Allow him freedom to access all areas of your life, to affect your heart, to affect your soul, to affect your strength, to affect your mind. Fully engage with God. Fully engage with him because he's fully engaged with you. Have that one love for the one who loves you. And from there, from there we get into this, this conversation, this ongoing conversation that, that Brother Lawrence called an habitual, silent, secret conversation with God. We also call it prayer. And if you want to watch the screens, this is going to help you to make some more sense of that. How real is that? Yeah. I think we could all relate to that and our experience of prayer and that conversation with God. And most Christians, most Christians, when you ask them, what do you struggle with? They'll say prayer and we can beat ourselves up about it. But maybe, maybe we're more dangerous. Maybe we're more into this prayer thing than we, than we realize. When Jesus taught on prayer, he started off by saying what it isn't. What prayer isn't. In Matthew chapter 6, he said, He said, don't be like the hypocrites. See, the problem with them is that they pray because they like to be seen. Standing in the synagogue, standing on on street corners, it's all about them, the show, people thinking that they're someone special. 
And the reward for that, they've already had it. Jesus said, that wasn't right. Don't do that. What we should do is go into our room, shut the door and pray to our Father who is unseen. And for me, this can be, it very much can be on our own, in our own room. And and often what we talk about with God there, on our own with God, what we talk about and, and, and pray through behind a closed door is what sees us loving God with strength and soul in, in front of people. But it can also be something that we do when we are with others, when we're around others, to, to shut the door, so to speak, to shut the door, to shut out the, the distractions, whatever causes our mind and our, our heart to, to move from God's presence. We can shut it out. And in my experience, that doesn't happen straight off. We have to keep doing it. My mind, when I'm praying, like in the video, it, it is so easily distracted. Who, who am I meant to call? What have I forgotten to do? I'd, I'd quite like a chocolate biscuit now. Just thoughts that, that come in and, and distract me. Thoughts that get through. But I can. I can if I keep doing it, if I keep practicing it. I can shut it out and I can remain. I can dwell. I can be in God's presence. Then Jesus goes on because there's something else. Something else that prayer isn't. It isn't lots of words. They don't impress God. He doesn't need a a flowered up running commentary of, of where we're at in our lives. Because he knows us. He knows us. He is our father. Jesus even said that God our father knows what we need before we ask him. And Jesus then gives us a start in this. He suggests a a prayer for us to pray. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for me, for me, knowing what we've, we've said already about God's presence, what makes our prayers dangerous is when we talk to God as Father and we realise just how close he is to us, our Father. And then praying, praying for, for God's will, God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That is about touching down, touching down. If you think about a, a tornado, a, a tornado, fortunately, we don't really experience them here, but I've seen those storm chaser programs. I'm distracted by those programs as well, where out in the States, and everything's so much bigger out in the States, they, they race around with these vans. You think, haven't they got normal jobs to do? But they, they race around with these vans, monitoring these, these massive storms, and a tornado starts. It starts to form. The, the wind speed increases It's still in the clouds. And then there's this moment where everyone goes on full alert. They're they're watching their screens intently and they're they're watching the skies. Again, it's it's great TV. And this tornado, this tornado is about to touch down, about to meet the earth. And that's when it gets dangerous. And for us, as, as we pray, we become open to that. We are that that point of of connection where what is of heaven can touch down on earth in our lives. In the lives of of people that God has put around us. And that is when prayer gets dangerous. And I want to ask you a, a question. 
What is the most dangerous prayer you could pray at this point in your life? What is the most dangerous prayer that you could pray at this point in your life? And what's stopping you praying it? Is it fear that it won't get answered? Or is it fear that it will get answered? And it will change everything. I was listening to to John Ortberg recently. John Ortberg was the the teaching pastor at Willow Creek, a massive church in the States. Like I said, everything's bigger in the States. And he is an incredible communicator. And he told this story, a, a true story about Bob. They always seem to be called Bob, but it is a true story. And I want to retell it because it really fits here. Bob. Bob was an ordinary person, if we can call anybody ordinary. He could have been any one of us, not connected politically or or financially, but he became a a Christian. He became a Christian, a a Christ follower, and he he read in the Bible about Jesus and the, the part where Jesus says that whatever you ask in my name, it will be done. I will do it. And talking to another Christian about this who was alongside him, someone called Doug. So we've got Bob and we've got Doug. He asked, he asked if that was true. Was it true? Did Jesus really answer prayer? And the other Christian, Doug, who was more mature in his faith, he said, yes, that, that really is true. But it, but it isn't like a, a blank check for, for personal use and you can just keep drawing on it for yourself. You can't be selfish with it. But it is true. So Bob said, I've got to start praying. And Doug said, all right, what do you want to pray for? And and Bob said, I think I'll pray for for Africa. I'm going to pray for Africa. And and Doug said, that's really broad. That's really big. Maybe you should narrow it down somewhat. Go for a country. And Bob said, all right, I'm going to pray for one country. I'm going to pray for, for Kenya. I'm going to pray for Kenya. And Doug said, all right, here's what we're going to do then, Bob, just to make it. More interesting. I want you to pray every day for 30 days for this country, for Kenya. And if something extraordinary happens as a result of that, if God clearly answers your prayer, I'm going to pay you $500. But if nothing happens, you've got to pay me $500. And if you don't pray every day, the whole deal is off. And Bob said, all right. And he started to pray. For several weeks, nothing happened. And then Bob was at this dinner that had been arranged and he didn't know anybody there. He felt all awkward and they were talking around this table about who they were and and where they came from. And a woman said that she was from Kenya and that she was responsible for the largest orphanage and medical facility in the whole country. Well, Bob, he just just came alive at that and he hit her with, with so many questions that finally she said, you're really interested in my country. Have you been there? Bob said, no. Do you know anybody there? And Bob said, no. Then how come you're so interested in it? And Bob explained about this deal that was going on with this person, paying him $500 to pray every day for 30 days, and that he'd been doing that. And she said, well, would you like to fly over with us? Come and see it for yourself. Experience it for yourself. And Bob said, yes. So Bob got on a plane, and he was flown to Africa. And he toured this facility. And he was overwhelmed and he was appalled by the amount of need and the amount of poverty that was there. So when he got back to the States, he he felt led to start writing to these pharmaceutical companies, these massive companies that he didn't know anybody in or he didn't know anything about them. But he told them about this place in Kenya, this facility. And he told them about the immense need that was there. 
And he told these massive companies that they had so much, so much in the way of medical supplies that they didn't even sell. So maybe they should send them over there. And to cut the story short, where it ends up is is with this facility in Kenya getting over a million dollars worth of medical supplies. And Bob, with no connections, financially or or politically, he he met the president of Kenya and he was influential. He toured the country and was influential in getting political prisoners released. And he was asked by the president of Kenya to spend three days with him praying, praying with him as he reorganized what was a, a chaotic country and a chaotic cabinet. One person, Bob, It was like me and it was like you, praying a dangerous prayer and and being naive enough to believe that God answers prayer. That tornadoes, that God's will in heaven can touch down in our lives. And we get to do his will here on earth. That is dangerous love. And that question, that question, what is the most dangerous prayer you could pray at this point in your life? What is it? I want to challenge you. I want to, I want to challenge myself to pray it every day for 30 days and see what happens. I can't offer you 500 pounds for you to do that. In Leon's absence, I don't think he'd appreciate me bankrupting the church. But to be honest, to be honest, if that prayer gets answered, we will be so passionate about it that we won't want the money. We will just want more of God's presence in our lives. There isn't much time now to, to, to talk about worship, the, the final aspect of this. But really, it wasn't a lot of talking I wanted to do here as we get to the finish. This is more about how we respond, how we respond to, to God's presence here and now, and how we recommit ourselves to God. Recommit with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And where we're going with this is to to sing is to worship and there's a a song called heart of worship it was written by matt redmond some time ago and what i want to say about worship is really expressed in in these words there was a time in matt redmond's home church which was soul survivor in watford when the worship which had been great so moving seemed to really lose something and there was a, a sense of apathy about the place Soul Survivors senior pastor Mike Pilavachi came up with a, a solution to this problem. It was radical, but it came out of his deep desire to see his church return to the, the true meaning of worship. Without warning, he stripped the entire auditorium of, of its sound system and he, he gave the worship band a, a long time off. And then for the, the next month or so, Sunday worship was sung a cappella, really without any instruments and you can you can imagine the the awkwardness of of what followed as people heard themselves singing mostly and if you're anything like me completely out of key and out of rhythm but what was realized by everyone is that worship our voices our our passion our heart response to God is so much more important than the the sound that actually gets produced And it was as if the congregation had become worship consumers rather than worship givers. And it was out of that experience that Matt Redman wrote this song. That starts off with the words, when the music fades, all is stripped away. 
Now, being careful here because we're not about to strip out the sound system. And as much as the worship team may want time off, it it isn't happening. And this is about doing. It's, It's not about doing. It's not about doing what they did. Because this church isn't in that place. And God is into doing new things, not copying. But I do want us to understand the heart of this. And maybe for us personally, feel challenged by it. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. We can, we can and this is is something we all have to to keep a check on. We can get consumed with the music, with the sound, the the creativity, the the, the technology, the show and, and being seen. And what we need to do is to strip it back, to, to strip it back. Strip our relationship with God back to the essentials where it's just us and God. And I'm so into the worship here, it definitely attracts people into God's house. And I'm so into the creativity and the, and the technology here, it definitely engages with this generation. And I know personally that we never, we never ever put on a show here. We aim and we pray. For the presence of God beyond all else. But at certain times, at certain times, I do believe that personally and as a church, we should strip it back. Where it is just us and God. That is the heart of worship. That is when it gets dangerous. And we're going to experience that now. So Lee, if you want to come back and the the worship team. We are going to strip this song back. And we're going to sing it. And we're going to feel and sense and move with that heart of worship and allow the Spirit to to speak where we are now. So if you want to stand, if you want to stand, and I'm going to pray. And don't feel that straight off you've got to start singing. You can just allow Lee and the team to, to sing over you. What's important here is that it's between us and God and that we're open to what he's doing. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we started out in in, in worship and Lord, we we were in a place there of, of your presence, your sacred presence. And Lord Jesus, now I pray that again, your sacred presence Lord, we'd be there. And Lord God, we would be able to shut out, shut out any distractions now. Shut them out from our minds. So it's just us and you, Lord. And Lord Jesus, prayers, dangerous prayers that we could pray. Lord, maybe in this moment, if it's right for us, Lord, that prayer would come into our head and we'd know what it is. And it can be something so ordinary and yet profound and powerful. Lord Jesus, it's not about the size of the prayer, but it's about your will. It's about your presence. Lord, it's about how it changes us, Lord, from one degree of glory to the next. So Lord, we want to wait in this moment. We want to strip it all back. Lord God. Move us now by your presence. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.